Well, how's everybody doing? Doing good? We'll get those house lights up for you here in just a second. If you want to have your Bible, uh, I would encourage you to grab your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 10. Uh, we're finishing up our all-in sermon series, and over the last couple of weeks, we talked about what it means to really be all-in, right? Like, I think about everything that I do, my wife would tell you that, like, there's no halfway, right? Like, when I say I'm going to do something, it's, it's all-in. Like, I'm going to do it, and then I'm going to be into whatever I'm doing. She, we, we joke about it, and, and I'm going to use it a, 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 an illustration. We went out one night. We decided to go um, axe throwing. Yeah, my wife's going to kill me for this. I may, you may, I may, no, I'm just, I may not be alive next week, but we went out axe throwing, right? And, and in the midst of axe throwing, we, we kind of got into a little bit of a discussion, right? I was a jerk um, because I was trying to coach her on how to do things and how to be better at axe throwing, and it really rubbed her the wrong way, uh, which then completely killed the date night, right? Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, this is supposed to be a night where we're supposed to connect. We're supposed to be, and my all in led to a problem, right? It led to this problem of, uh, because I'm all in on everything that I just basically decimated my wife, okay? Like, I, I, I just, I, I destroyed her to a certain extent with my attitude, all right? And so when I think about this, I think about how what it means to be all in can oftentimes cost us uh, because of attitudes and actions. And so as we jump in to this idea of who's my neighbor in Luke chapter 10, I want you to think about this. Attitudes and actions speak volumes to everyone else around us, right? Like how I respond in a circumstance or situation is going to show what I believe as well as it's going to show my care and compassion. And so in Luke chapter 10, we come to this story. It's a parable uh, that Jesus gives to this, this law, this law expert. And if you're following along, Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25, listen to what it says. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up. And what's it say he stood up to do? To test Jesus, right? Okay? So he hops up. Do we have the Bible up there? Sorry. We have that text up there, Luke 10. There we go. All right, on one occasion, so he, he, he hops up and he, he decides he's going to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I want you to notice in this text over the next 12 verses, there are three questions that Jesus asks versus two questions that the, that the, the, the law expert, right, asks. And here's what I love about Jesus. Like, when somebody asks a question, Jesus doesn't necessarily always answer it, Right? He asks a question. He's like the greatest counselor in the world. A counselor, you go in, you see a counselor, you start to, they start to ask you questions, and then you ask a question back, and then they ask you another question. You're like, well, that's not really what I was looking for. But Jesus is like the greatest wise person ever. So it says, now Jesus asks this, what is written in the law, he replied, and how do you read it? And then the legal expert answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus replies, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, here's what I love, because all of us get to this point, right? Like in, in my thing with Sarah, I like to justify sometimes my actions, right? My date night. It's like, well, I was just trying to make her be better. I was just trying to let her know I was all in, right? Listen to what happens. 
but he wanted to. This is a legal expert. He wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus this, and who is my neighbor? Now, we're going to read the rest of that here in just a second, but I want us to think about this idea of this parable and what Jesus is trying to teach. England's forest, or, or former Prime Minister, Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher once said this statement about the Good Samaritan. No one would remember the Good Samaritan if he only had good intentions, but he also had money too. Now, while I agree with that statement, what I want us to understand is this. Just because you got money doesn't mean you're a good Samaritan, right? Like, I think she even misses out on this because a lot of times as Christians, we might have good intentions, but we have bad thought follow-through or bad actions, right? Like, my heart was there, but I didn't follow through with what maybe what the Lord was leading me to do. And so we see this play out in this parable. And Jesus is approached by this leader in this Jewish religious system, this religious leader that had, uh, had and knew over the six, or knew the 600 laws that they had set up for the people, the Jewish people, to be obedient, right? To follow the laws of what the Lord had laid out. And so this guy would be the guy who people would say, did I break the law and what do I need to do to correct it? So he's coming to Jesus in a reality trying to test Jesus' knowledge of the law, right? Because that's the question he asks. He says on one occasion, that expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And I think it's important for us to understand this idea of a story. You guys realize that a parable is not something that necessarily happened, but is a story that they would relate to and understand and explain. Parables are earthly stories with heavenly meanings. So when we hear the parable of the Good Samaritan, right, or the sower in the seed, or the parable of the rich young ruler, Jesus is making a story to communicate a truth about eternal and heavenly things. And so it's important for us to understand what we're trying to answer here as we look today on these, at, at this text. I want us to see today this. There are two things that I believe, two levels that we can see within this teaching that we have to understand in order to get the full meaning so we can apply it to our lives. Number one is this plain teaching. And the plain teaching is this, what should I do in order to help others, right? Like we're going to unpack that. What should I do in order to help others in need? If we have a heart of a neighbor, then we will see and help a neighbor, right? But the second level is this, the Jewish leaders, the, the, sorry, the Jewish leaders rejected, rejected people based upon how they responded or how they were reacting or even what they believed. So the second level is this Jewish leader's rejection of the man who had been attacked, right? The man who had been attacked by things that were outside of his control, right? To a certain extent, we could put this in a modern day context, right? That along the road of life, out of nowhere comes a bully who attacks another nation, And there are people who can walk by and go, oh, well, that's, I'm sorry. And they continue to walk by or you get involved. Now, I'm not making a political statement. Please hear me on that. I'm just trying to put you in a context of a parable in today's context. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not telling you we should get troops involved or anything else like that. But what I'm telling you is this. When I walk by and see something going on and I don't partake or don't activate on it, then all I'm doing is acting like the people within the story. So, 
That's what we're going to begin to understand. Here's the big picture or the big statement. If you remember anything else, I want you to remember this. Serving my neighbor or my neighbors allows me to display the love of Jesus toward others. Serving my neighbors always allows me to display the love of Jesus toward others, not just to my neighbor, but to those who are going to watch or see me serve my neighbor within that. And we're going to jump into this whole idea of what it means or what must I do and and things like that. So that's my question over this first text. What must I do? And the reason I get to that question is this. Listen to what he says. On one occasion, the expert of law stood up. He wanted to test Jesus. And what does he ask Jesus? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, here's the funny thing. He starts off with the wrong question, right? He starts off with this idea that he can obviously earn it. It's this idea that I do. There's a a big statement there when we look at that that, that context or that, that part of the text where he's trying to say, there's got to be something I do. Here's the problem with Christianity for most people is that when a pastor or somebody gets up and says, it's not about what you do, it's about what Jesus did, they go, yeah, that's just not good enough. There's got to be something more I could do. Statements like this, right? Like once I get my life squared away, then I'll go to church. Once I get everything taken care of, then I'll follow Jesus. Once I have all of my ducks in a row, then I'm going to go and have a relationship with God through Jesus. No, that's not what he's talking about. That's not what Jesus wants us to understand. And so when he asks this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus literally comes back and says this, what's written in the law? In other words, what's written in Scripture? And how do you read it? And so when we get to that opportunity or we look deep within our lives and we ask that question, God, what am I supposed to do to have or inherit eternal life? Then we have to look at the truth of Scripture, which we talked a lot about last week. But I want us to look even further in depth and to understand exactly what he's laying out. And we, we, we talk about John 3.16 all the time, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that what? Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Now, we get to verse 17, right? And in verse 17, it goes on even further because it says this, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And then verse 18 says this, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Here's the important thing for us to understand. Condemnation never comes from Jesus while we're alive. Judgment will come from Jesus once we die. And we will be held accountable for every action that we do, right? That we don't confess of, that we don't repent from, that we don't turn away from. But please hear me out when we talk about this condemnation does not come from Jesus. Condemnation comes from when within my own heart, the wickedness within my heart, I choose to suppress the truth and I say things like this. There's gotta be something I can do to be in good standing with God. If you could earn God's grace, then it wouldn't be God's grace. We talked about this the other night a couple weeks ago. We, when we 
You ever heard the acrostic of grace, God's riches at Christ's expense? Right, the beauty of that, that I am, I am, I went from being a pauper and a slave to being rich in Christ because Jesus' death on the cross paid the price that I couldn't, for the sins that I couldn't bear, for the, for the sacrifice that I couldn't do so that I could have a relationship with God through Christ and, and grow from that way. Ephesians chapter 2 says this, for it is by grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, you have been saved, not by works so that anyone can boast. So there's the overarching ploy or play here on what is going on is the religious leader wants to ask the question that everybody asks, right? What do I need to do? And the Bible is very clear. Whether we talk about Romans chapter 5, verse 8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I don't have to get my life all squared away and all straightened out because Jesus died on the cross for my sins right where I'm at. So I don't have to get my life okay and measured and, and have everything in line before I come to Jesus. You come to Jesus as you are. And so this religious leader asks that question, which throws it in a whole nother direction. What is written in the law? And, and here's where we have to begin to understand what takes place, right? And how do you read it? So Jesus throws this question or these two questions at the religious leader who would no doubt know where this comes from. And he says this, right? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and with all your strength. And then to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you were to look that up, we see it in Deuteronomy chapter 6. We see it in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Those are things that we begin to understand because that was the law for the Jewish people. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40, a religious leader also comes and asks Jesus about what is the greatest commandment. And Jesus says, this is the greatest commandment, right? Right? To love the Lord your God with all your soul, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. As a matter of fact, it says, all the law and prophets hang on these two things, that I love God and that I love my neighbor as myself. So the question when what I do is this, in order to express my love from God or for God is to accept the gift of God, which is Jesus Christ. So what must I do? I must accept the gift that Jesus offers. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works. So the gift that comes through Jesus comes as a gift. And the only way to accept that gift is to take hold of it, to grasp it. The Bible says that if you believe with your mouth and confess, or sorry, you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, right, that you will be saved. You believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross, that he rose again, that you confess with your mouth that he rose again, that you're saved. So what must I do? I accept the gift that God offers. In order to understand the context of everything that's taking place, we have to begin to understand right here. And here's what's crazy. This Jewish leader, this religious leader within the, the group of the Jude Jewish people, within the Israelites, he, he, he knows the answer. And here's what's crazy. There are a lot of people who I believe know the Bible, who know the answers, but yet their actions are far from it because he knows the answer. And Jesus even says it. Man, you answered it correctly. 
That's great. That's awesome. You know, right? You answered it correctly, but then he says this, do this and you will live. Now, here's what's crazy about this whole text, right? Verse 29 says this. Now the religious leader, what's he want to do? Justify himself, right? Like, like here's, let's just be honest. And here's one of my pet peeves with, with politics or anything else, right? Like we try and justify our actions based upon somebody else and what they did. Like it starts as a kid, right? Like we, I mean, we see it with our kids. I remember it with my sister growing up. Like she did, he did, so that excuses my actions. Anybody ever been there? Your kids do that? Like, you know, yeah, well, mom did, you know, or maybe it's a school, right? My actions are justified based upon what somebody did or even, let's be honest, driving, right? Like my actions are justified, right, because he cut me off or he's driving too slow, we like to justify it. So here's what happens. This legal, law-abiding religious leader comes and he wants to justify himself before Jesus. And so now he throws in this other question. Well, then who's my neighbor? And here's the reason why. The reality is it's an evil attempt. Because he wants Jesus to say, well, not everybody's your neighbor. Just people you get along with. People you like. People who think like you and act like you and believe like you. People who follow the law. And so we begin to understand what's taking place as we unpack this, is that God's grace isn't something you earn, but yet at the same time, we have to not justify ourselves based upon what we want to think or what we think about other people. We justify ourselves only based upon the justification that Jesus gives us. So in every way, shape, or form, I align my life with God's Word. See, he wants to divert attention from himself to others by asking this question, who's my neighbor? And here's what I love. Jesus replies with a story. So if you have your Bible, again, follow along with me, starting in verse 30, and it says this. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and when he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, he came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him, and he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins, and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And then here's the third question Jesus asks. Which of these three men do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? And it says, the expert of the law replied, well, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. See, here's the reality. What does the love of a neighbor look like? That's the question we have to begin to ask. What does our love or neighborly love look like? And here's what I want to say in, the, in regard to that. We must serve our neighbors with mercy 
and compassion regardless of where they're at, regardless of what they've gone through, regardless of who they are and what they believe. And here's where it gets tricky. In this text, or what we see right here, is this road from Jerusalem to Jericho. In in that 17 miles from Jerusalem to Jericho goes down some 3,000 feet, right? So you're going down from this mountainous area, and you're going down a rough road, a roughly, a, a, a harsh road, where oftentimes people would go up into the mountains, and they would hide, and they would get away. And then when people would come by, what they would do is they would rob these people. And the reason they robbed them is because they had nothing else. They were outcasts. They were bandits. They were thieves. There were all kinds of things that they were at. And so they could go out and live in the mountains. And on the way, there's this man who most likely, according to what we would think, would be a Jewish man. And this Jewish man is going on the road down to Jericho from Jerusalem. And on the way, he's robbed. He's beat half to death. Like if you could put this in your mind of what's taking place. He's just been robbed, he's been beat, and he's been left by these other people. And who are the people who walk on by? First one, it says, was a priest. It's important for us to understand that because a priest would be a person who was in the direct line of Aaron. The priest performed the tasks that were necessary within the temple. And the second one was a Levite. And the Levite would work with, they weren't direct lineage of Aaron, but they were people who were in the priestly division. They would work alongside the priest. They would do the different jobs that needed to be done. And it's important for us to see what ends up taking place because those are the very people who walk on by and ignore him. It's also important for us to understand the difference between a Samaritan and a Jew. Now, if we want to talk about kind of early racism, that was what we could call it. Jews didn't associate with Samaritans. Samaritans were unclean. Samaritans were half-breeds for most considerations. And so they would say, well, I'm not going to associate with them. Like when Jesus runs into the woman at the well, what was the biggest complaint of Jesus talking to her? She was a Samaritan. Like Jesus went through Samaria and dealt with and met this lady right where she was at. And so as we begin to understand what's taking place is the very people who are supposed to have this relationship and a connection with Jesus who avoid the neighbor. I kind of look at it this way. In today's world, when we see things happen, what is the first thing most people do? Right? Like, all you got to do is see all the crazy videos that people post on Facebook, social media. Like, people are getting the ever-living daylights beat out of them. It's like, I'm going to video it. I'm going to video it. I'm going to video it. I got it. I got it. I got it. All right, I'm going to upload it. The problem's back there. Yeah, it's okay. I got it on video. And that's exactly what would be playing out here in this is that these people were walking along and it says the priest first goes by and he sees the man who's already been beat down, right? It's already happened. The robbers are gone. The threat is gone. This guy is in desperate need. If I avoid it, I don't have to look at it. I don't got to deal with it. And it says later that a Levite comes by and the Levite goes by and he just ignores the problem. And the reality is, church, is that we can't ignore the problems of the people that are around us on a daily basis. 
And we can bring all kinds of things when we talk about this. We can talk about the robbers and thieves, but I want you to know about this. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. What is that first word? The what? Who is the one who attacks the very people who are around us? The thief. Who is the one who came to steal, kill, and destroy? The thief. Who is the one who is attacking the people that are around us on a daily basis, trying to give them hope in other things and in other areas? Who is the one who is uh, uh, coming at them against, through emotional and mental insecurities and problems, through depression and anxiety and worry? It's the thief. And what's crazy is oftentimes we want to veer around it and avoid the problem instead of going, here's the issue, and I got to deal with it. And the beauty of the story, though, is this, that the Samaritan, the one that everybody else would say, well, that's not the one who's going to stop and help. He goes above and beyond. So as you look, listen, it's the priest, it's the Levite, but then look at what happens in verse 33. A Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took what? Pity. In other words, he had mercy upon the man who was in need. He related with him to an extent to say, not only do I believe something, but I'm willing to get involved and put my life into action. I'm going to take my beliefs and I'm going to put them into action. I'm not going to be a mere hearer of the word, but I'm going to become a doer of the word. I'm going to live this out on a daily basis. And so it says he took action. He saw him. He took pity on him. He went to him. Not only does he bandage his wounds, he put oil and wine, which would have been costly on it, then he put the man on his own donkey. Now, there's a great book out there, well, I'm going to say there's a book out there, and I about entitled my sermon this, called Get Off Your Donkey. And I was like, well, I don't know what everybody else will think, right? But <laughs> to a certain extent, I'm just going to put it out there, Get Off Your Donkey right? It's time for the church, for us to get off our donkey and get involved, to care for and have compassion. And listen when I say that, right? Yes, we want to serve as a corporate body, as a body of believers. We're going to serve together to love on and invest in and care for our neighbors. But can I tell you what that really means also? Is that you have to love your neighbor as yourself. You have to serve your neighbor out of obedience to what God has called you to do. So the Samaritan has pity on him. It says he went and he, he bandaged him up. He put oil and wine on. Then he put the man on his donkey. He brought him to the inn. And then listen to this. He didn't take him to the inn and go, oh, see you later. What did he do? It says he took him to the inn and he took care of him. Now, Here's the struggle most people have. You're like, Pastor, you want me to help? Like, that's, that's time. That's money. That's, that's sacrifice. That's mercy. So he jumps in and he says that, and he goes to the utmost extreme. I kind of think of it this way. Like Jesus said, when they tell you to go one mile, I want you to go... Two. 
that we go above and beyond when it comes to serving and connecting with our, with our, with our neighbors. And then listen to what it says. So not only did he stay there, it says the next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. And then he says this, look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. In other words, he was willing to put his money where his mouth was. He was willing to put his money behind the actions of what's going on. And please hear me out when I say this. There is a balance here, and this is a thing we've had to learn as a church, right? There's a balance here between giving people a hand out and a help up. And we have to be wise in how we approach that. But listen, this man was in desperate need. This wasn't a person who chose not to work. This was a person who got beat down by everything that was going on in life. And what we have to begin to understand, just like we talked about, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, that people are beat down. They've been robbed. They've been duped. They've been been left half dead by the attacks of the enemy, and the people of the church have to come around them because we've got to be neighbors to those people who are in desperate need of hope and salvation in Jesus Christ. So when it talks about this idea of what's it mean to get off my donkey, then I gotta get off my donkey and get into action. I've gotta put my faith into action. See, compassion in this text would mean sacrifice. That when he had pity on him, he didn't just go, oh man, sorry for that guy, but he said, man, this guy's in desperate need of hope. He's in desperate need of life-saving measures. And I am the one that God brought to this point to do that. And so I'm going to do whatever it takes to get this guy to know what life is, to be alive again. And that's exactly what plays out. Listen to what happens in verse 36. Which of these, uh, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? So Jesus asked his third question, right? So who was it? That was the neighbor. It's obviously the Samaritan, right? The one that everybody else wouldn't expect. And when Jesus tells this, I have no doubt that there were more teachers of the law standing around. There was just this one bold one who wanted to make Jesus feel really stupid, right? Like you ever been there in class? Somebody's like, oh, watch this. I'm going to get teacher. Teacher's going down. You ask that question, and all of a sudden, teacher puts you in your place, and everybody else is like, oh. Because I think that that one legal expert was amongst a group because that's usually how they traveled. He was amongst a group and he asked these questions and then he tries to justify himself. And then Jesus asked this question back, right? Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands? And the expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus says this, go and do likewise. See, it's not just about mercy and sacrifice. It's about follow through. And that's what Jesus is telling us. If you want to be a neighbor, then being a neighbor takes these things. It takes compassion. It takes pity. It takes an understanding that there are people who have been robbed and duped and beat down by life, by this world, and by Satan himself because Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy. And the reality is that the church has to be the good Samaritan in there who goes and says, I'll do whatever it takes to get this life, this guy to life. I'm gonna lead him to Jesus. And here's the crazy thing about it. The reality is, is that Jesus is the good neighbor, right? 
Like Jesus' death on the cross is what defeats sin and death and robbery and trickery and the thievery of Satan. And so he's the good neighbor. He's the one who leads the way, and we're called to be the same. We are called to be neighbors who love our neighbors ourselves. And so here's what I did today. We're going to wrap up very simply with this. But if Jesus is that good Samaritan, the good neighbor, he didn't pass by on the other side because we had been attacked by sin and by filth and by disgust, but he came and he helped us out. It's important for us to know who our neighbor is. Now, this comes from a book called The Art of Neighboring. I'm not, I didn't want to belittle or belabor or have a whole series on this. But today, at the end of the service, I'm going to ask you to do this. And here's the thing that I most worry about, because the neighbor, I believe, is anybody who would be in need. But I'm curious how many of you actually know your neighbors, right? Like, I can go around our neighborhood, and I can go, well, that's Dave and Gail, and that's Rhonda and Jim, and that's, that's uh, Lance and and, and uh, oh my gosh, Laura, and that's Paul and Merla, and that's, you see what I'm saying? And so there's nine squares right around, actually eight squares, because you're in the middle. It says you are here. Some of you may be lost on that part, I don't know, right? But I'm going to ask you, you can fill these out with a pen or pencil or anything else like that. You need to know who your neighbors are. You need to know them by name. You need to know their needs, their hurts, their worries. And that doesn't come by pulling into my driveway, opening my garage door, pull my car in, hit my garage door button, and never have a conversation or relation with them. I, I love our neighborhood. I love going outside and talking to my neighbors. Now, I know all of you, some of you are like, yeah, yeah, because you're an extrovert, you're an idiot, right? I understand that. Like, I know introverts, I know that. But it's important for us to know our neighbors, right? To be able to watch for those who are closest to us, who are around us. Your neighborhood and your neighbors, that's the first line. That's the first line that God has put you in place to have a relationship with those people so that you can get to know them and you can share the gospel with them. So again, I'm not gonna put this on here. This is for you to take home. These are magnets. You can put them on your door, on your, your not your door, your refrigerator door, all right? Or somewhere that's got metal if you got stainless steel. I don't know, but... Find out their names and pray for them daily. There's a great website called Bless This Home. If you wanted to go and look at it, I would encourage you to sign up. It's free. There's other things you can pay for, but Bless This Home. I go into Bless This Home. I logged in. I, I created an account. I know all my neighbors, and every day I get an email. Here's the neighbors we're asking you to pray for today. Bless This Home. Look it up. But this is just a simple way for you to put into action what it means. And let me, hear, let me say this when I, when I talk about this overall, that I believe, church, it is our role and our goal to be the light in the darkness, to be the ones who come alongside those who are, are stuck, who have been beat down. And right now, there is a lot of that. Matter of fact, some of you maybe today would say, that's me. I need a neighbor who could come alongside me, wrap their arm around me, and pray with me. Because right now, I'm not feeling it so much. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to have the praise team come up. And we're going to have a time of prayer. We have a time of, of, of response and invitation to the, to the message. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, the Bible is very clear. That if you believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again, and you confess it with your mouth, 
that you'll be saved, that you're saved right where you're at, but you need to make it public. You need to let other people know. You need to follow in baptism and stuff like that. If you are a person who says, that's me, and we want to talk with you, we'd love to pray with you. If you are a person who says, I need a neighbor who can wrap their arm around me and pray with me, we'd love to pray with you today as we close. We're going to close with a song. We'll have a little bit more just left to go. But respond how the Lord's leading you to respond today because we need to be good neighbors. Father, we thank you for the great hope you gave us in Jesus, that Jesus is that good Samaritan who came along when we had been beat down by life, overcome by sin, worried and left half dead because we tried to do things on our own. And he bandages us up. As far as the east is from the west, he removes our sins. He heals any and all unrighteousness in our lives. We can walk in obedience because we have strength and faith in the name of Jesus, that his spirit calls and convicts and guides and leads us even when we face struggles and difficulties. And so, Father, we thank you for that. We pray today that just where each one of us are at, that we would respond the way we are to respond because of the way you have led us. That maybe you are calling some right now to follow you, to acknowledge you as King and Lord and Savior of their life. Maybe there's some others that have never been baptized. They say, I've acknowledged that, but I've never followed in in a believer's baptism, or maybe it's just somebody who needs prayer today because they've been beat down by the attacks of the enemy, Lord. Thank you for how you work. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to close with a song. If you feel led, you want to have somebody pray with you, here's what I want to do and encourage you. At the end of the service, come up, grab one of these. Find out real quick how much you know about your neighbors and just begin to pray for them. And do this every day as you pray for your neighbors.